0: Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast exploring the subtleties of living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, and here with me and my weekly guests, you can expect curious and brave conversations all centering around what it means to live into the process of awakening to our worth, wholeness, and power. We will talk about personal, collective, and spiritual freedom, riff on sovereign leadership, living in levity, and bridge the mystical with the down to earth and practical. There is not much we shy away from here because at this table everything belongs you know i spend a lot of time holding space for people holding space for their stories for you know their story from their history to the stories they're telling themselves their programming their conditioning and also for the dreams that they hold deep down and all of the reasons that they believe they're unworthy of the life that they want and it is extremely rare that I am completely rendered speechless by someone's grit and grace and audacity for claiming the life they want. And Alex L., who's on the podcast today, is someone that truly renders me speechless, not just because of her story, which is profound and, I mean, you'll hear it, it it will take your breath away, but also because the grace in which she lives her life, the, the love and the depth that you feel from how she lives her life and the way that she shares so generously her art and beauty and passion with the world. You can feel her soul. You really, really can. So I'm excited to introduce you who I'm in conversation with today. Alexandra L. is an author and wellness consultant who lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband and children. Writing came early into her life by way of therapy and the exploration of healing through journaling. Quarterly, Alex teaches workshops and retreats centered around assisting others in finding their voices through storytelling, poetry, and navigating writing rooted in truth without shame. Her mission is to build community and self-care practices through literature and language. She is currently an author at Chronicle Books and is the author of multiple journals and books, including After the Rain, which is her newest book, Neon Soul, and today I affirm a journal that nurtures self care. She's also the host of the Hey Girl podcast, which I highly encourage you to subscribe to and listen to. We talk today about her background, how she became a writer, a podcaster, her journey into motherhood, her journey finding love, how she found self care and found herself as her own advocate, her own sovereign, worthy advocate. She talks about being a Black writer in the wellness space, the things she's learned about herself through this journey. She talks about her book, After the Rain, which is a collection of lessons that reads more like mini memoirs, sharing personal stories of change, pain, joy, marriage, self-love, grief, and healing. And... We talk about that journey today, not just the creative process of that, but also that journey of healing that she was on. And you will hear me actually be speechless because her journey is so profound. Alex described herself today in the podcast as the curator of her manifestation. She said, I work for it while I wait for it. I am the curator of my manifestation. And if that just doesn't describe the heart of someone who says, I know what I'm worthy of, no matter what anyone around me says or thinks, and her embodiment of that goodness. Let's dive into this conversation because I cannot wait for you to meet Alex L. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on Everything Belongs. I have been an admirer of your work, your writing, and honestly, the grace you show up in on
1: social media. Do people tell you that a lot? People do tell me that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having yeah. me.
0: You're welcome. I'm, I'm curious, actually, is that intentional? <laughs> like, Do you show up on social media with such grace on purpose? Or is that just you?
1: I would say both. Um, I think it's really important to be gracious with ourselves um, and then be able to like exhibit that in real time and give other people permission to do the same. So yes, I give myself grace in real life and also yes, because I'm a writer, I, sh- I have to show up from a space of graciousness. I find when I'm sharing my work, especially in books or on social or what have you, because I just find that that's really important. Um, and it builds community. So yes to both of those things.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm consistently inspired. And even before the interview was just scrolling your feed and kind of getting in this zone of connecting with your energy and was just, like honestly taken aback of it seems so intentional and I'm just like drawing some lessons around my own like need to jab at controversy <laughs> that, mm. that it seems uh, and I love I love grace there's a part of me that like is a disruptor and really am taking um, taking notes on how how you show up and the way that you share your work and that it's it's so nourishing
1: Thank you. That really makes me happy uh, to hear, especially this week. I've had a pretty tender week around self-doubt and imposter syndrome. I've been doing a lot of inner child work. I'm actually in the middle of hosting my uh, Pathway to Peace course, which is all centered around inner child journaling. So I'm not surprised that I'm feeling super tender with myself. Um, And, you know, just to have a community um, on and offline you know, affirm me in the ways that I find it's so easy for me to affirm others. um, But when it comes to myself, I really have to work, work through, you know, so many hurdles. And I think that's important to note here, especially because a lot of folks think that I like, have it all together. And it's just like, you know, no one has it all together. (laughs) And there's these, there are these moments where it's like, how can I hold myself in a light of grace, especially through adversity, especially when things feel tender and challenging? Um, and how can I be human, as humanly human as I can um, with myself and with my process? So showing up in a space of vulnerability um, not only nurtures myself but i found that it nurtures the community interacting and engaging with my work
0: yeah yeah it really does foster a sense of community and i'm you mentioned adversity and being able to show up in grace in vulnerability amongst adversity and i'm curious what your background is and how you came you're a writer you're a podcaster you're a mother you host courses and I'm really curious your journey and what you alchemized to create the art in life you have.
1: Mm. Wow. Uh, That's a big question. Um, In a nutshell, I will share that I was a very sad kid, um, battled with depression, battled with feelings of being unloved, um, walked through some pretty intense what, what I now call abuse, um, at the hands of my parents, um, specifically my mother, um, physical and emotional abuse. And I always felt displaced and writing was how I found my place in the world. Writing is where I was able to put my pain down. Writing was able event what was eventually, uh, the catalyst for me putting my joy down too. um, so because I was such a emotionally uh, challenged kid, I found that I really wanted to, like when I turned 18, I just knew that it was time to shift and I had become a mother very young. I was 18 when I had my first daughter. And I just knew it was time for a change. And it was time for me to take my power back. I have that language now. I didn't have that language then. Um, and it was time for me to choose to do something different and to be someone different for myself, for this kid that I had, um, and for my future self, my future children, and um, my husband, who I'm, I'm, I'm with now, um, So it's like, I don't know, the journey is ever, oh my gosh, ever flowing and um, writing has been the curator for my healing and my practice of self-discovery and I actually was gifted writing in therapy Um, I had a really amazing therapist who just spoke life into me and she gave me uh, journaling as a tool to keep in what she called my emotional toolbox and um, I was really able to just work through my pain my trauma Um, feelings of abandonment, feelings of uncertainty, of self-doubt, etc. And um, it's been been so eye-opening. I'm 31 now, and I'm raising three daughters, and I have a husband, and we're in a healthy friendship, (laughs) partnership, marriage, and I just never would have thought I would be here standing in abundance today because I had such a challenging upbringing and view of myself in the world. So it feels only right that writing called me um, as 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 a professional person, like, come and do this work, because it saved me. Writing saved me, and if I can help, other people discover their truth and their power through writing practice that is where the true abundance lies right it's like being able to give other people their voice like my therapist gave me mine through writing practice and through reading so I hope I answered your question but that's really kind of what I would say to that
0: yeah that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. And I mean, there are a number of things in your story that I think a lot of people will relate to as far as having early childhood adversity and having depression or being really sad from the abuse that you were experiencing. And as children, we don't have that language. Like it, it, you alluded to not having the language for abuse, but looking back having a different understanding of like why you were sad and why these things were coming up. And then also being a mother quite young. Mm -hmm. And whenever I hear women and just other people talk about those experiences, adversity in childhood, becoming a mother really young, often people can use that to disqualify themselves from what they really want. And I'm wondering if that wasn't the experience for you. And if so, how you moved through, some of those stories or beliefs
1: um, so I think a lot of the stories that I had around being a mother really young um, was coming from other people um, and while you know i I do not advocate for teen pregnancy, it was hard as hell um, I was not in a relationship with the father. Um, My parents, after the initial shock and uh, disappointment and anger and all of that, helped me co-parent my daughter. Um, They helped me raise her the first four and a half years of her life. Um, So, you know, a lot of the story that was coming was coming from folks who were scared for me. Um, And... I was scared for myself, but I knew that I had to make a choice. I made this really big choice to have a kid at 18. So now I have to make this really big choice to be the woman I want to be, not only for her, but for myself. So some of those stories sounded like you're never going to be able to get uh, anything done. You're going to be another statistic, young, black, unwed. Uh, no one is going to want you, you're going to be on the, you're going to be impoverished, Um, you're going to repeat, you know, these generational cycles and traumas, you know, with your kids and like just some really like wild things that I find really does defeat people. But I'm, I, I made the choice. I made the choice to do something different, and I think that everyone um, has the power of choice in some way, shape, or form, and I refused to be what people thought I was going to be, and um, I had to work really hard to get there. Um, I had to work really, really hard to get there, and to not allow my own stories, my own self-doubt to seep in and throw me off track Um, because there were plenty of moments when my depression got the best of me, when my anxiety got the best of me, when I questioned, you know, the path I took. Um, But I can honestly say that without the path that I took, I would not be the woman I am today. I would not be the mother I am today. I would not be the wife I am today, the friend, uh, the person, the human being that I am today. So, you know, my pathway was not ideal. My pathway was challenging. But now, looking back, I see how my choices leading up to today as this 31 year old woman raising three kids in a healthy love with herself and her partner um, that my path liberated me and i just want people to know that whatever path you take however adverse it may be whatever trauma that you've faced and rejection that you face or doubt or pain or abuse you can absolutely overcome and you can absolutely shift and change. And I think there's so much power in that, that word can and then making the choice to take the steps to do so.
0: Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. And even the emphasis on choice, well, choice coincided with some very real things like depression and anxiety and all of the stories that are cultural narratives, familial narratives that each of us hold in our own different way. I'm curious to know about the resources that you were able to grab onto that allowed you to make choices that shaped the life you have and I know you talk about self-care you talk about community care and I'm assuming there are more so I would love to hear you expand upon that.
1: So um, you mean just in general or in yeah what sense?
0: it through your 20s I mean in this entire season of cultivating I mean you've cultivated a life above and beyond abundance in my opinion like looking at the creative life that flows from you and the nurturing love you give your family. And even like I mentioned in the beginning that flows onto social media, it's like it overflows from you kind of abundance. And I I guess I'm making the assumption that there were resources that you grabbed a hold of internal and external that supported you to make the choices that cultivated the life you have now. Mm. Is that a better way of explaining it?
1: Yeah. Um, resources. Oh, my gosh. So I I knew from a very young age, according to my Nana, that I wanted to work for myself. And did I know I was going to be an author? No, I'm a journalism dropout student. I did not think I was going to be writing books for a living. I did not think I was going to be writing at all for a living. So let me just say that. That writing literally chose me, um, which is a whole nother story in itself. But my grandmother told me that when I was seven, I looked at her and I said, when I get older, I'm going to work for myself so that I can be home with my family. And that stemmed from my mom working, climbing her way up the corporate ladder and my grandmother doing a lot for us, um, especially with me and childcare and, and really being an active part of my, um, of my life growing up, and I don't remember saying that, but she does, so I've always leaned into my creativity. I mean, just, even when I was in, like, middle school, I used to make t-shirts and sell them out of my locker, Um, and I got in trouble for that, actually, Um, Mm -hmm. and I, in college, I took an entrepreneurship class. This is what actually encouraged me to drop out of school. And I'm not encouraging that for other people, but that was my pathway. I took an entrepreneurship class and my final project was a skincare line. And my teacher was like, this is great. You should do this. You should absolutely do this. And I was just like, huh, like I can do this? And he goes, oh my gosh, yes. And he was just, he just took to me and really supported me in some, in his language. And I, you know, I I haven't spoken to him since. Uh, He ran a bakery. Um, in a small town near us. And I did it. I started my very first skincare line. It was was hair care at the time, Uh, skin, skin and hair care called Safi Hair Care, which consisted of like hair butters and body oils. And it was really successful for the first time. And I leaned into my creativity from for being a first time entrepreneur when I was what I think I was like nineteen or twenty or twenty one something very very young, um, and from then on I was just like this is I love this I love I love making things I love poetry and you know I I, I just want to do I want to do this and of course I had other jobs in between time, but. I always came back to my creative heart. And I had to just, I had to figure it out. I really had to figure a lot of things out on my own. And one of the main resources that I say that I have um, was the support of my family, especially being a young mother. Uh, My family, meaning my mom and my stepdad, because they were the ones helping me raise her. I was able to leave the baby with them while I went to school. And we went to work and all of those things. Um, and my oldest daughter is now 12. So time has really flown. Um, and I was able to build my career. Um, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that th- this is the pathway it was going to take by just staying dedicated to knowing that at the end of the day, I knew that I wanted to be self-employed. I knew that I wanted to make things. I knew that I wanted to to write poetry. I didn't think I would be writing poetry or anything professionally, but I just knew that there was something bigger than working for someone else. Um, and my last job was Oh, my gosh, almost nine years ago. And I had a successful first book out at the time. And I was still doing my skincare here and there. And I was making jewelry. And, you know, I don't know. I was just kind of this, (laughs) looking back, I was just kind of this creative wandering soul um, trying to find her way and her footing. And I worked this job, a nonprofit in D.C. I had a really not very nice boss. And um, I knew that I wanted to transition out of there. And and my pathway to, you know, writing had really become clear. And I knew that I wanted to write um, professionally. And I knew that I had to leave my job in order to do that. And I had been saving my money and, you know, just stacking and preparing. And um, I went to put in my two weeks notice. And my boss begged me to stay. And I was like, huh, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe this asking of me to stay is uh, my sign that I'm not ready and that I need to continue on at this job and continue selling books on the side and, you know, whatever. So I stayed. And two, it's so interesting how the, the universe works. Two weeks to the day that I put my notice in and he asked me to stay. He called me a low budget employee and to not forget my place at the organization and that I don't, I'm not needed and I'm not necessary. And I was like, Whoa. So that's what the universe was trying to tell me. Get out of here. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Trust yourself. But I didn't. And I got kicked, you know, I, I got kicked in the, in the butt by the universe When he said that, and I was like, I quit on the spot. I actually write about this in my new book. That's the opening of the book. It's called Change. And I go through, it's a very hilarious uh, essay and also extremely emotional. But I quit on the spot and I left. He deactivated my metro card when I walked out the door. Um, He was very nasty to me. And I never looked back. And then two weeks to the day, of me leaving, I got a call from Ohio State University to come teach my first workshop and come speak to their students, and I got paid more than I had ever gotten paid in my life at one time, and I was like, wow, the work that I put in, the self-trust that I'm learning, the growth that is showing up, it all is dependent on me. And it's all dependent on me showing up to trust myself and to trust my craft and to trust my life walk and all those stories that I was told. Even up until, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, when that man told me I was a nobody, essentially, it was just another push for me to stand in my power and to know that, no, I am somebody. And even if you don't see it, I see it. And I think that's been the biggest, like, growth, uh, growing pain in my life is no one seeing me and me having to see myself and me having to love myself and me having to teach myself how to do both without any help. And it's been the most empowering thing because now I can teach my daughters and now I can teach other folks that even if no one sees you, you're seen. And even if no one loves you, you are love. You are love. You embody it. And I just want people to know that it's not always smooth sailing, but there is a lesson in it all. Take it from me.
0: (laughs) Goodness, there's there's so much to what you said. And I have this image of like something, um, almost like a wave creating momentum but not yet peaking yeah and this like self belief and self trust cultivating and cultivating and cultivating, but like life is still sh- like you're still kind of taking the shit from life yeah <laughs> like yep. okay like i'm I'm trusting myself, but and I see this on personal growth and the healing journey so much that there's this moment where it just tips over, yeah, and okay. all of that work you've been doing that feels like it's like getting nowhere like ricochets out and everything falls into place,
1: yeah. No, that is the truth. And I remember, like, walking out the door to leave and going to the corner. Me and Ryan, my, my husband, we were newly dating at the time. And I called him. I said, I just quit my job. And he was like, good. It's about time. It's about time, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and I said, and I was just kind of going, I was really fuming, pissed, mad be, at, at myself because I let this man you know, get under my skin, and I didn't leave when I said I was going to leave, and, you know, just all of that, all of those narratives, right, that we create, and then I said, you know what, I'm either going to fly or I'm going to fail, but I am not going to not try. There's no way that I cannot try, and I have been flying ever since, and learning ever since, and I've been able to, you know, see my oldest who is now 12. She'll be going to the seventh grade soon. I've been able to see her through getting on the school bus. I quit right on time. She was riding the school bus to school. I was able to be there, you know, for kindergarten um, and, you know, all of those things that I otherwise would have missed. And Now I'm able, you know, I'm home with my kids, I'm mother from home, I work from home. Um, I, I, and I just never thought that I would be able to do this until I did it, you know, and it Mm. was, it's been, it's been a life changing, for sure. That self belief is wild, man. Like, once you get a hold of it, it's like, I am never letting this go.
0: (laughs) Yes. And it's, it's kind of like I had a lot of issues with manifestation, uh, like throughout, throughout hearing about it, really. Right. <laughs> like, no saying. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and because I, and, you know, it felt a lot of victim blaming. And are you familiar with the ACE scores? No. So it's adverse childhood experience. And um, it's really discouraging, honestly. Like uh, it's, a, it's a test and you take it essentially, you um, to see how adverse your childhood was. And if you score above a four, so four and below is a normal amount of adverse childhood experiences. But if you score above a four, you're like significantly more likely to experience all of these uh, cancers, diseases, like poverty, really difficult things in life Mm. because of early developmental trauma. And I score seven, teetering on eight. Like there's one that I'm like, I don't know if this counts. Um, but, and these are like big T traumas in your childhood. And it was really discouraging to find out about adverse childhood experience. And, but in this interesting way, it, um, it showed me how, manifestation can work on like a nervous system cellular level. If you deeply believe you're unworthy and you have traumas that have shown you that that's what's true about you, you're more likely to cultivate these things in life. And it's not because it's your fault, but right. it's because of the state that your body is in and the, the, the programming you've been given. But what was really encouraging to me and this is something that I heard from your relationship with your family in your late teens, early 20s, is if you have just one person in your life who can see you and deeply care about you, even if you have a high number of adverse childhood experiences, it can, I don't want to say reverse, I don't know if that's the language that scientists would use, <laughs> reverse the trauma, but it can give you an access point. To getting out of repeating those cycles and actually healing just one person who sees you can like soothe the effects that someone who doesn't have that person can do and that to me that is like so encouraging to really one love on the kids <laughs> love on the kids no matter where they're at for any of us who know a child but also it sounds like you had someone when you were going through a really difficult time say hey I see you
1: No, I didn't. You didn't? No.
0: Wow. And so that was, that's whenever you were talking about ICU, you're talking about yourself. Yes. How did you find that?
1: I had no choice. Mm. No, I had no choice. Uh, Especially after not feeling seen for so long. Yeah. Did it feel like a spiritual connection? Like, or was it just deep inside of you? I think it was really because of my daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew she was watching. Yeah. I I knew Charlie was watching. And I knew that I had to see myself in a different lens, through a different lens, in a different light in order for, me to show up as my best for her and for us. Um, so no, like I, no, I didn't have anyone say, I see you. Mm. I, I don't remember my mom telling me I love you until I was like 19 years old. It's the first memory that I have of her saying,
0: oh my gosh.
1: Um, and she may, she may not agree with that, uh, mm-hmm. but my childhood was so traumatic you don't remember. I don't remember if she ever did, um, because all I do is remember is the really aggressiveness that I got at the hands and, and mouth of her. Um, and we've since had very intense conversations around how I was parented, um, especially with the new book coming out, because I talk about our relationship in that book. And I wanted to give her grace and allow her to read the first copy, and I bookmarked the pages that were in reference to our relationship, and I wrote her a letter, and we talked about it, and um, she's changed tremendously. She's a phenomenal, Mm. phenomenal grandmother to my children, but she was not a good mother to me,
0: Mm.
1: and I wanted to be a, I wanted and I want to be a good mother to my daughters. And I think that's why my womb has continued to be blessed with girls because (laughs) I still have things to learn seriously as a girl mother, as a, as I I really, I really do. And I think that that's linked to my girlhood and Mm -hmm. me being, and me being born um, to the woman I was born to and. There's just so much more to learn. So when I say I see you, I I Alex saw herself, Whew. and um, it's it's really wonderful though because even now thinking back, like our children see us. So I have a two year old and an eleven month old. Isla is two. She's a firecracker. She's she's hilarious.
0: so cute. <laughs> she
1: is <laughs> so cute. So cute, and she is so sassy. And she checks us all, all the time. So she runs the house, okay? <laughs> I love of running. Course. Our, two-year-old, our two, two-year-old runs the house. But funny story, but also, like, really powerful story. Um, I was frustrated recently, maybe in the, in the past, like, six weeks. I was really frustrated. And I was huffing and puffing. And she goes, Mom, breathe. Count to four. Let's breathe together. Hold my hand. And we take these deep breaths (laughs) in. And I'm like, you're right. She goes, it's okay. When you get upset, you count to four. She starts singing me the Daniel the Tiger song, okay, about breathing when you're upset and when you're angry. And I'm like, me and Ryan do this with Isla. When she is feeling big in her toddler emotions, we get to her level. We hold her hand. We look her in the eye. And we say, let's breathe. Let's take a deep breath. It's Okay. So she sees that, and then that's how she interacts with us, mm. with, with me, with, with her dad, with her older sister. <laughs> She's little mirroring little, you back to baby. you. She is mirroring, and that's what I mean by being seen. Wow. Me being able to see myself, I'm able to see my children, and then they're able to see me.
0: <sighs> Alex, your, your story, like, I feel like my heart has been broken open hearing your story and the really everything that you that you represent about grace that i feel from you when i look at your work your words the photos of you they radiate the sense of grace and that makes so much sense to me hearing the depth of your story that you're sharing now because it seems like there was something in you that just knew that you deserved that level of grace that you you knew that you deserved to be seen and unfortunately some people don't know how to offer that to themselves but somewhere inside of you you were able to open up that wellspring it's it's really just hope-filled wow
1: thank you and it's intentional it's intentional because I have these little kids watching me. It's intentional because I have, you know, folks, these little eyes looking at me and absorbing everything. And that, and it starts at home. And when I say home, I mean, yes, the house that we grow up in, but also the body that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it is really, really super important for me to break generational curses and to break generational, not even to break generational trauma, but to release generational trauma, Um, especially with me raising three black women, uh, black girls. um, It is so important that they know love and that they feel it and that they see it and that they embody it. And um, I know that they do because we say I love you in this house until our faces are blue my husband is so (laughs) so 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 lovey-dovey and um, those are the first words out of his mouth in the morning to everyone and the first and the last thing he says to us at night and that was so new for me like when I met him and we started saying I love you and his family embraced me and his mother embraced me and was saying, I love you. And I'm like, this is the wildest shit ever. Like, <laughs> yo, like y'all really love each other. This is crazy. Right. And yeah. I know that that sounds like so dramatic, but for someone who didn't know that type of love, mm-hmm. who didn't see that type of love, who didn't feel it, it was, it shifted my frequency it made me really uncomfortable at first. And now it's second nature and I know that the kids see it because I love especially she I love my mom. I love my sisters. <laughs> I love my daddy. I love everyone. <laughs> That's her thing. She goes down everyone in the line and then she's like a collective love, like a collective. Everyone is a collective, which mm. is just beautiful. And she just knows. And, and Charlie, our, our oldest, she's, you know, just the sweetest, most gentle soul child. I, that girl, man, she's awesome. and I always say she's so much better than I was because she truly is. And that is the goal as a parent, that your children are better than you. Mm-hmm. And um, the love that we have for her, you know, radiates. And my husband, you know, he's been in her life since she's been four and a half. And he's raised he raises her like she's his own, as he should, in this type mm-hmm. of blended family unit. And she calls him Papa. And the love is just big. It's just big love here. And I want my children to like take that love with them so that they can love other people. I had a really hard time loving other people, let alone loving myself because I didn't Mm -hmm. ever see it. I never saw it, never saw it. Um, So it's interesting. It is very interesting. The shift of life. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: after the rain, when this airs, it's going to be out this is your book, your collection of mini memoirs. And I'm, I'm curious if this, if this book dives into the alchemizing of all of this pain into self-love and healing and beauty. Is that what we can <laughs> hope for whenever we get our book from pre-order? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, that's it. Um, the book is a collection of 15 lessons that read like encapsulated memoir and each lesson um, is pretty tender and personal Mm -hmm. um, but always rounded off with love Mm -hmm. and acceptance and grace and of course there's affirmations in there and gentle reminders and writing prompts and um, yes there's everything from change as a lesson to self-love to dedication to meditation to childhood identity everything that has shaped me is in there um and I'm just so excited for the world to get it
0: oh my gosh I'm I'm so excited it's it's like I already told you before we started, it's on pre-order. I'm just so excited to get my hands on it (laughs) and to read these stories. And I mean, literally, I feel your story in my chest. Like I can feel more space inside of me hearing what's possible. And even this idea, you know, I mentioned manifestation and the stories we tell ourselves and the beliefs we hold and like that ricocheting out of self-love that you've been able to cultivate despite so many circumstances that could have had you in other situations and in other, other vibrations, other mindsets. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it is truly inspiring and you are just serving as such an expander for me of softness amongst the humanity of it all i'm i'm curious how you model this in your home like really like practical things you do with your girls that just show self-love and show care for self Mm. and each other
1: Mm. so before i answer that i want to talk about manifestation a little bit because i've please i've had a little tricky (laughs) relationship with that word um Mm -hmm. And something that comes up in my practice is work for it while you wait for it. And manifestation, yes, talk about it, write it down. It's it's there. It can be yours. But it's not just going to magically appear. You're not just going to say your affirmations and write your truth and things just pop up in front of you. Um, If I've learned anything about manifesting, it is working for it while I wait for it, working for it while I long for it. Um, doing the self-work, the soul work, the heart work, um, to be the curator of my manifestation, to allow both the universe and my human ability to bring things to fruition. Um, And that is really, like, (laughs) important to me, especially as a woman, especially as a Black woman. It's like, you can't just wish things to happen you also have to work for things to happen and to change and I think putting some self-accountability and self-awareness on my manifestations has helped them come to fruition it's like it's not a one-sided thing so whoever else is out there listening who struggles with that word and like The uh, kind of whimsicalness of it. Just know that it has not been whimsical for me. um, (laughs) Thank you for naming that. You're like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) (laughs) and that it is um, something that yes, I believe in, and also yes, that I have to work for. Um, As far as practical demonstrations of self-love in this house, apologizing is big. Listening is big listening to understand and not listening to respond is huge um our 12 year old is very sensitive very she is like such a little tender soul and is easily upset she doesn't like getting into trouble quote unquote she doesn't like confrontation she does not like getting disciplined So when there have been moments when we've had to be parents and we've had to discipline her, like, okay, you know, you didn't do X, Y, and Z. Okay. I want your technology off, you know, for the day. We don't do, we don't do physical uh, punishment here. We don't spank. We don't, we don't hit or anything like that here. Um, But we do revoke privileges. (laughs) So she doesn't like that. And sometimes, um, mom can, can have a a big voice. Um, and there was this one moment that I, I recall where I had to raise my voice and no one likes that. I don't like it, but the kids, uh, the the kids definitely don't like it. Isla says, why are you yelling? Stop being loud. She's two. Um, and Charlie is like in a corner (laughs) and Charlie's like in a corner, like, Oh my gosh. And Ryan is like, you know, everyone's just looking at me like I have eight heads um, and I don't go crazy, but I don't normally raise my voice. So when my voice is raised, it's like, "Uh oh, there's flags. So um, I raised my voice. She got upset. She started crying. Um, and she's a crier. We're all criers in this house. and We're all just like highly sensitive and emotional. And after she got herself together, I called her downstairs to the table and I said, I want to talk and um, I'm going to, and I want you to talk and I'm going to listen. And we, we talked and um, I said, when, when X, Y, and Z doesn't happen, it makes me feel X, Y, and Z. And here's how I'd like you to adjust so that we can live in harmony together. And then I asked her, how can I adjust? so that we can live in harmony together. And wow. it was very hard for her at first when we first started doing this practice because she's so um, sensitive. Um, but we're, we have been working with her on, even when there's not adversity in the house or any confrontation or, you know, wildness going on here. And it's a family of five, so things can get turned up. Um, but even when <laughs> it's like mellow in the house, we have check-ins and we say, how you feeling? How you doing? How can I, how can I change? How can you change? So how can I listen more? How can I, you know, whatever, like giving, especially with, with Charlie, because she's 12, like but this is the age where it's like, we can, we, she has language and she can communicate and, you know, we're giving her these skills to be in healthy, boundaried, uh, relationships with people and free flowing relationships with people without feeling like she has to shrink. And that starts at home. That starts with your parents. If you feel like you have to shrink around me, I'm not doing my job as a mother. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to stand in expansiveness even in front of me as your mother, even in front of Papa, you know what I mean? so mm-hmm. um, that, that's something that we've been working on. And in that moment she said, um, I don't like when you raise your voice, because it makes, me, it makes me sad or something like that. And I said, well, I will do better. I will keep my voice down. Mm-hmm. And we hugged and said, I love you. And I said, there's nothing in this world you can do to ever make me not love you. Nothing. And having those sacred moments between... Child and parent apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, I hurt your feelings for raising when I raised my voice and that I will do better. As an adult to a child, like I never had that. And to give my daughters that space of mommy loves you always and you're allowed to mess up and you're and we're allowed to get upset with each other and we're allowed to come to the table and talk about it and maybe even yell about it and then love each other still like that is major because for Mm -hmm. me growing up it was always you shut up you sit down i don't care what you have to say Mm -hmm. i'm the boss and it was like when i have kids there is no way in hell i'm going to be that way um Mm -hmm. So just making space for my children to expand, even in their flaws. Like, I don't understand how people think that they can raise perfect children. Like, no one is perfect. Kids are going to mess up. Kids are going to not listen. Kids are going to deliberately disobey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And still, and still we must love them. And still we must love ourselves, especially when we have, like, Hiccups in parenting, when we drop the ball, when we have to come humbly and say, I'm sorry, you know, Um, so apology is big here, you know, especially, I mean, even with Isla and Charlie, they're 10 years apart. You know, they're both always saying sorry to each other. They're in here (laughs) going going at it. Okay. Um, And another way that we practice self-love here is by allowing for mess and mistakes, like, I, I feel like there's not enough of that. Um, there's not enough mess. There's not enough room for mistakes. And raising a child who, who is like Charlie, who's a perfectionist and really sensitive, like, there has to be space for, like, error. And we have to, like, be cool with that. Because if we're not, then that just exacerbates her need to be perfect. Um, You know, that 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 deeply rooted need to be perfect, even though that's not expected of her. It's, you know, self-imposed. So like Mm -hmm. not making a big deal when shit hits the fan or when things get messed up or what have you has really been um, super helpful. Um, And also like laughter. Like we laugh here a (laughs) lot. We are wild. You know, we throw things around the house. We play basketball inside with the little, you know, Fisher Price basketball. <laughs> we, we are just silly and fun. And I want my children to remember fun, to remember uh, belly laughs. Like every night we're having a belly laugh. We're a silly house. We're a music filled house. We are, we're a pretty loud house in general. Um, and it's just, I want them to remember the love in this house. The, the space for mistakes in this house, the smell of their towels after a bath mm-hmm. being wrapped in them and just I want them to remember like these little things that I don't remember. I want them to remember being wrapped in love and that's something I envy about my husband because he remembers that nostalgia makes him cry to this day. He's a 34-year-old man and a song could come on from that back in the day, or he could smell something from back in the day and just start crying. I'm like, dude, That's what's so up? sweet? That's so sweet. <laughs> he's like, babe, oh. but that smell, I remember that smell from my grandmother's house and like, you know, like things like that. And like I want to give my children those memories, that love, that, that care. Um, so that's how we are exhibiting self-love here. It's not just for self. It's for the collective. Like Isla says, I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my sisters. I love everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, love, I love Isla. I love everybody. So it's like, that's special. That is so yeah. special and necessary. Oh, my goodness. The,
0: first of all, your husband sounds amazing. And I think right now it is so hope-filled for me to know there are men loving their families in that way yeah, and who are tender and cry. And I'm so grateful that you have a partner like that. And I'm so grateful men like that exist. So thank you for sharing a little bit like about your partnership. And it sounds like intention and attunement come to mind when I think of the way that you are mothering and the way that you're like, intentionally cultivating a family of care and love. And I also love watching your stories like art. You didn't mention art, but I love seeing that you guys paint together. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Just do projects, Mm
0: -hmm. lots of projects as a family.
1: Yeah. Well, me and Charlie do. And I love sometimes. Uh, Ryan is like, that's y'all's thing. Go ahead. and lean into that without me. Um, But Charlie is an artist. So she and she's really, really good. She's self-taught. She's just amazing. And during quarantine, you know, she's she's always arting. Like, that's her thing. And for me, I was just like, I need something else outside of writing. I had just finished up the, you know, the book. And I, I was like, I'm tired of writing. I need something to be creative. And I want to tap into my inner child more. And I want to make space for my, you know, for my messes and and stuff. And she was like, why don't we paint together? And we started painting together. And painting has become a form of my self-care and a form of me and Charlie's like big girl time, you know, like big girl with mama time when the babies are down um, and it's just me and her and we're just vibing out with our music on and she's doing her thing and I'm doing mine. And that's really special um, to have that moment with her Mm. too. And for myself, like just to not have anything make sense, just to put it down with the colors and the, the water and, all of that it's really fun it's fun Mm -hmm.
0: I've been really inspired I've started watercoloring and a lot of it has been because I'm like that looks so
1: nice (laughs) it's It's really nice (laughs) I
0: forget and I love what you were just saying about like sometimes like I write mostly for a living as well and sometimes like that's my creativity but then it became a business and sometimes it's it's nice to have something that's not for sale
1: yep yep and I've had people ask like are you selling them like nope Mm -mm. Mm -mm." Thank you. I'm glad you want to you hang up my very, very, very abstract art in your house, but it's a no. <laughs> I'm
0: curious. I have some rapid fire, but I'm curious if uh, mothering in the way that you mother is helping you reparent yourself.
1: Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, I was just speaking with someone about this recently and mothering my – okay, here's how I framed it, and I hope it makes sense. That every time I I have a baby, I'm reborn. And in that rebirth, I am remothering myself. So as I mother my children, I am mothering myself. And that creates a different type of alignment, I find, in just my ability to show up flawed and also curious to learn more about myself and about my children. So yes, mothering has shown me that not only am I mothering someone else, I am also mothering myself and that they both play a major role in, um, in evolution, in openness and in self-trust. Wow. Yes. That makes
0: so much sense. And I feel so expanded in my heart from this conversation. I'm, I had, uh, an adverse childhood as well, and I don't have children and I'm learning what mother means as a non mother, who's not currently speaking to my mother. And so this conversation, and I mean, your words are mothering us. That's truly how I feel. And you radiate sovereign mother. Mm-hmm. It's I'm just blown away. (laughs) Alex, is there anything before I do rapid fire that you wanted to say to the listeners or loop back to and complete a thought on?
1: Um, I think I would say that we are never alone in our struggles and that we deserve to keep our promises to ourself, that we deserve to see ourselves, and that we are worthy of abundance, even in loss. That's what I would say. Thank you so much. I'm going to jump through some
0: rapid fire, which I've heard could be an entire interview on their own. So we'll try to keep it fast. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> the first question is, what is your spiritual background?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, spiritual background. spiritual Spirituality or religious? I don't have any religious affiliation. Um, but I do connect with spirituality. I think there is something bigger than me outside of me. And um, yeah, did that answer your question? Does that count?
0: Yeah, some people say how they were raised. Some people say what they are believing now. But I'm just curious, like, what the context was for you.
1: Mm, so I was raised Baptist. Um, by force i was even baptized by force just because like you go along to get along i guess i was like seven <laughs> yeah, yeah. getting baptized I'm like what the hell is going on what's happening dunk uh, me dunk me right 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 Take me <laughs> under. um and like i remember going under and then coming up i'm like yo i'm just feel the same i mean and no one was like <laughs> telling me like what was going on um but no i was, I was raised baptist um by way of my grandmother, who is still a Baptist, was still a woman of faith. Um, and I disconnected from that life when I had the chance. Um, and um, yeah, and I, I think that building a relationship with God, higher power, Divine Mother, whomever you want to call this grander spirit than our own um, is completely individualized and important to um tap into if if that's your wave so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: beautiful it seems like isla knows the great spirit that's all i'm gonna say like isla knows
1: (laughs) isla literally yes knows the great spirit i think because we struggled to conceive isla um and Mm -hmm. i talk about this in the book too and then max came 20 months later as a big surprise big, big, big surprise after just wild, like it's just wild. That's a whole, I could talk about that wow. forever, but Isla, you know, is named after her grandmother. Her grandmother's name is Eilena, Ryan's mother uh, who passed away uh, four years ago. And it's so interesting when his mother transitioned, all the babies were born. Um, and now there's six grandkids in two and a half years. Talk
0: so, about an ancestor. Yes.
1: Yes. Yes, and they're wow. all stair step cousins. So Oh, I have chills. That's yeah. so cool. It's wild. <laughs> so, <laughs> so cool. I was definitely there. Like she's she, her and Grandma Lena like they are eye to eye for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, next question is how do you know when you know?
1: You just know. Mm-hmm.
0: What identities have you had to let go of to own your fullness today?
1: I've had to let go of the identity of self-doubt. I've had to let go of the thought that I have to have it all together. Um, And I've had to let go of wanting to please other people before myself.
0: Mm. What are you most enjoying learning right now?
1: Mm -hmm. I would say sign language because we sign with the babies. Mm. Um, so that's pretty fun. Painting is also, you know, lighting a fire in me. And my new rollerblades just came. So I'm excited to get on my blades with my helmet on and vibe out. <laughs> yes.
0: Next question is, what does grace mean to you?
1: Mm. Grace to me means offering myself the same love, understanding, and respect that I offer others.
0: Mm. What is your go-to coffee shop order?
1: Mm. Okay, so I have an espresso, and mm-hmm. I think I'm a barista because it comes with like a little milk wand and everything. Uh-huh. So I haven't been buying coffee out lately, but what I love is uh, putting my Nespresso setting on macchiato and adding vanilla beans, nutmeg, clove, and cinnamon, and then a drizzle of honey, and then um, just swirling that around and having this like really like warm, uh, spicy drink.
0: That sounds so good. (laughs) So good. The final question is, what do you want?
1: A, I want, I want a legacy that is abundant and supportive long after I, I transition.
0: And with your legacy, where can people find your work if they want to buy your book and know more about you?
1: Mm. So you can connect with me on um, Instagram, of course, at Alex underscore L-E-L-L-E, and uh, my website, alexl.com. You can find all of my offerings from my books to my journals to my free community writing practices and, um, yeah. Oh, and my podcast, the Hey Girl podcast.
0: <laughs> yes. So good. You're an amazing interviewer. So good. Thank you. Alex. thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself with us today. I, like I said, I'm I'm expanded just being in your presence and knowing you. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you for having me, Madison. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes, your favorite podcast app, so that others might find this podcast too. You can find the show notes and find out more about today's guests by going to madisonmorgan.com backslash podcast. And before you go, I want to tell you about everything belongs the membership for only $17 a month. Join my monthly workshop gatherings that will serve as a playground and sacred circle to learn and explore a spirited life fully expressed in your worth, wholeness, and power. Members will have the opportunity to vote on podcast guests, pick workshop topics, send in questions to be answered live on the call, get a monthly journaling PDF and members only access to all of my coaching programs. If you're looking for a place to ground, gather, play, and explore all of the conversations shared here on everything belongs, then this is a space for you. For more information, go to madisonmorgan.com backslash membership. And if you're not following and chatting with me over on Instagram, please go do that now and DM me and let me know your favorite part of this episode. I cannot wait to hear from you. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a rich life where everything truly belongs. See you next time.